So today I have with me a very special guest. Her name is Mora Ragosar. I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing that correctly, but we'll speak uh, more about that later. <laughs> um, Mora is Iranian, but living in Denmark. And the reason why I've invited her to this episode of Changing the Narrative is because of everything that's happening in Iran at the moment. This conversation is not going to be so much about the politics um, and the history of Iran. It's going to be a conversation about emotions and feelings and identity um, and how it is to be an Iranian woman outside of Iran at the moment, uh, which I can imagine is very, very complex, a very complex and difficult situation. So we're going to be talking about that. I'd like to introduce Mora. She is an editor and a creative producer in Denmark, and she is um, improving or has been improving and wants to improve the diversity in the film and TV industry in Denmark. And that's kind of her her brand. We can go more into that as well, talk about some of your projects. Um, and also just to let people know how you and I know each other. Uh, we met at a film college in Denmark many years ago. <laughs> I think it's almost 20 years ago. Well, it's getting there, getting close to 20 years. And it's not until maybe in the recent years, actually, that we started getting contact again. And it was really nice to sort of uh, find that relationship again and and that friendship and be able to support each other as women in the film industry in this path that is very difficult as an artist, you as an editor and producer, and also a director and me as a writer and director. So thank you so much, Maura, for being here today and taking your time. I'm really, really happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, when you asked me, I jumped on it because right now everything and anything we can do as uh, Iranians to, you know, shed some light on the current situation. Yeah, we jump on it. So um, thank you for for wanting to shed light on this yes, very important movement that's uh, going on right now in my home country and in the diaspora all around the world. Definitely. And as I said in the beginning, um, it, this is not going to be um, a political conversation and we're also not going to go too much into what's really going on in Iran. But I'd like to just for people who are listening to this, just to explain them very briefly that what happened was that a young girl of 22, she is born to a Kurdish family and her name is Masa Amini. Um, Masa Gina Amini. We must not forget her Kurdish name. Gina. And, uh, yeah. Gina is forbidden to have registered in Iran, which in itself is a conflict, obviously. But to honor her Kurdish side, uh, it's important for us to also mention that. Yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely. But Masa Amini was the, was the hashtag, the code, so to say, yeah. that kind of broke the revolution. Yes. Yeah. No, but that is absolutely very important to mention, especially because as far as I know, this was the, the name that her family used, Gina. And so absolutely. But of course, um, as you say, the hashtag is the one that's been popularized. And so that's what people use and keep using um, because most people know her as just Masa Amini. But yes, Masa Gina Amini. She was killed on September 16th. Uh, this year, 2022, by the morality police. The reason was that she didn't wear her headscarf properly and was wearing tight pants, as far as I know. Um, she was detained by the morality police, and then um, she was later uh, killed in their custody. Yes. Yeah. And so she was beaten by the police while she was detained, and then died in a hospital, in a coma, yes. I think. There were also some leaked medical scans that um, that led to, you know, to show and prove that um, she had actually suffered cerebral hemorrhage and stroke. Which the government denied, uh, still denies, but, but yes. Yeah. So this was the incident, the death of a young woman who had her whole life in front of her, basically with the reason being that she was showing too much of her hair. Um, yes. And that 
incident resulted in many protests and now very big demonstrations and also the creation of a big movement for liberation in Iran, especially for women. And this was also all initiated by women. And that is why I was really drawn to the subject and why I want to support it and um, and give as much visibility to it as possible. Uh, yes, I just it's important to uh, to say that Massa was not you know a singular case. She was just the spark. You know, it was just like one too many, and um, I guess she became our George Floyd in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. That's what it was. And since then, there's been you know so many people have died, suffered, detained are on death row right now. So as this revolution is going, it's so much more than Massa, but Massa became the code. And obviously um, now we have so many names that we're trying to hashtag and too many to keep up. Um, But each and every single one of them deserve the same sort of attention as our beautiful Massa did. Yeah, absolutely right. So Mora, Obviously, we could be speaking about this um, for a very long time. There's so much to talk about. But as we said, we're going to be looking on how it is for you to be an Iranian woman in Denmark and not be in Iran at the moment when all this is going on. But you do have family there and friends. So I want to take you back to uh, when you first came to Denmark. Maybe you can tell us you know, in what year did you come to Denmark? How did you come here? And and how was it for you? So I was four years old. It was in, <laughs> not revealing my real age. <laughs> 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 it was in uh, 1987 um, when me and my mother came with my sister. Uh, and she was actually my age. She was 38, nine <laughs> when she had the opportunity to leave. So So that's what she did. Um, my father, who is a very well-known director and, and scriptwriter in Iran, he was, I wouldn't say against us leaving, but he wanted to stay and kind of see how things would turn out. But um, my mother was determined. She had lost her job prior to that because of the regime. Um, she was a school teacher. And so some of her students who were very religious turned on her, basically, you know, knowing that she was anti-government so she had to leave basically because she lost everything she had worked for uh, I'm not going to get too much into that story because I don't know the details but no. I know that it, was, it wasn't it wasn't a matter of choice for her it was something she had to do sorry to interrupt you Mora just for people to know mm-hmm. that the reason for that was that there was a change of regime in 70 70- yes so right. there was a revolution in 1979 Before then, you know, Iran was, uh, they used to call it the Paris of the Middle East. Um, But people wanted the Shah back then to um, skedoodle, and they didn't know what they were going to get in replacement. So, you know, there was a revolution, and Khomeini became the, see, now when I'm starting to talk about these things, I'm very, I'm cautious of saying something wrong, because I don't know all the political details, but uh, basically, in 1979, when the revolution came, everything changed. You know, for about a year, my mom said everything was great. <laughs> the Shah fled, and um, these new guys came in, and everything was fine. And then suddenly, from one day to the next, you know, she had to put on the scarf. And if she didn't, it was um, it would be punished. She would be punished. Yeah. And actually, the, a funny story is um, Khomeini is quite. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I can say this. <laughs> He has this very strong demeanor of, like, you know, closed eyelids and um, beard. So when I was little, I was scared of his pictures. So I would say uh, the monster. Oh. And uh, in, 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 in Farsi is Oradive. So I was just a kid, you know, but I would like Oradive, the, the monster. And so I actually said this to somebody in my kindergarten. And um, my mom was pulled aside and they said, be aware of what your daughter is saying. Because if somebody hears that, they know it's coming from your house. Yeah. So it was constantly this like uh, living in fear, you know, this censorship. And my father who was uh, was a director, you know, he had to apply to the censorship as well. And he was also quite politically active. So there was also that fear that somebody might knock on, on the door and 
take him in as well. So it was something that my family just decided that we had to do. We were supposed to um, end up in Germany where I have a, a aunt, but we kind of just got stuck in Denmark for uh, reasons I don't know. And um, yeah, the rest is history. We've been, I've been living here um, and growing up here since. So how old were you? said you were four years old? I was four years old and you know, obviously in the beginning we went through the whole living in a refugee camp and everything, but um, we were only in a refugee camp, I think about a year. You know, I always think like my story is not that special. It wasn't that, it's not like I, we, you know, fled over the mountains or uh, smuggled into Denmark. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say everything that's going on now, I do realize there's trauma there. There is definitely things that are being unlocked inside of me, especially as a mother. And I think about my children who I try to give a structured day-to-day -day life. And, you know, they, they get their supper at, at a certain time and they get to go to bed in the, in the same bed every night. I was moved around quite a lot. Mm. And um, I still remember living in these tight, confined uh, spaces with all these people from all corners of the world. There's a lot of Somalis, I remember, and they used to cook for me in this, like, um, a communal kitchen and uh, I didn't speak the language and you know by the time I went to school I was the only girl with dark hair and brown eyes and so there was a lot of little things that a kid shouldn't have to go through regardless yeah um, some traumas are kind of being released throughout this uh, movement but also there's been a lot of healing and I'm recognizing that it's okay to go back and say hey that was hard it was hard to be away from my father for a whole year um, back then you know you didn't have the internet when you call you could barely hear what they were saying and um, I remember especially remember my mother's tears you know she cried a lot I remember and um, yeah just finding your way in a different a new country without any support that was hard yeah, yeah. I mean, this is what you're probably realizing now as an adult, that th that has all affected you. Even like seeing your mom unhappy and crying, for sure, it has affected you as a child. And mm -hmm. so you might have grown up thinking, oh, my story is not so special. No, but you did have a period of time when you were younger where you somehow suffered or saw your, your nearest suffering. And mm -hmm. of course, that has an impact on you. And it was just unstable, you know, it was just like that unstable, that fear was there, you know, how are we going to survive, basically, you know, and, and we had a good living in Iran. Um, and suddenly we're placed in these like, housing projects and things like that, you know, it's, it's, it's just different. Yeah. And funny, like little memories stick out to me, there's, there's a memory which doesn't really have to do with uh, us coming. But ever since I can remember, I've had these recurring dreams of like a flooding where it's like, I'm in a flood, I have to run away from a flood and I go to a rooftop. And I always thought like it was a horrible premonition of something that's gonna happen. Like I would dream this dream and not too long ago, because of all these things that are happening, we we're talking about Iran and my childhood. And I said, mom, it's funny, I have this reoccurring dream. And she's like, huh, no, that's not a dream, honey. That's a memory. And I said, what? She's like, yeah, you were about three years old and, and there was a flood and we had to flee and we had to go up on this bridge. And then we later on went to this rooftop. And I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> I can relax now. It's not a premonition. It's a, it's a memory. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of little things like that are coming back to me, I feel. Yeah. 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 And more, what was some of the... Um some of the little things that you did to kind of try and adjust, I imagine that you've had things because you, you know, you obviously come from a very different culture. Um, Denmark is very different from Iran in so many ways. I mean, even the climate, look at the climate. <laughs> you came to a very cold- Out of my element, for sure. <laughs> so I imagine that you've had to do like little adjustments. I know, for example, about your name that you, you changed your name a little bit so that it was easier for stupid Danish people like me to <laughs> to pronounce your name. I, I can barely pronounce it myself, I will say. <laughs> so I was bullied and I was called everything you can ever imagine. So finally, I just um, made it shorter and said more. Yeah. Yeah. That stuck with you. And it stuck with me. Yeah. I think growing up here... I've always been very much aware of my otherness. You know, mm -hmm. I always knew I was different. Um, and I think especially in my 
um, teen years, I was really trying hard to assimilate. You know, I was really trying hard to fit in and I never really did. Right. And in my 20s, I would even, you know, dye my hair blonde, which I, I mean, I know a lot of Iranians do. But I think for me, um, more and more, even before this movement, I am honing in on my otherness and I'm more and more proud of it. And it's also, I guess, it's the times, you know, being a woman is definitely better <laughs> in career wise and everything and also uh being diverse or being different is a is a plus nowadays while growing up it wasn't and I actually see it a lot in this new generation of Iranians that I've come to know um I can see like they've met prejudice as well and they're definitely also aware of being different but they lean into it they enjoy standing out in a sense and everybody who's against them like you know middle finger to them yeah where you know, for my generation, it was something that we were always apologetic about, which is which is silly, you know, because you have to stand by your culture because culturally I am different and we're all different, all minorities, whether you're Turkish or, or Lebanese or um, Kurdish, we're all different and mm. unique. <laughs> so, yeah. And this is what I meant with, you know, you felt like you had to do little adjustment or you had to change things about yourself, right? Yeah. Because for sure. You become a chameleon, basically. You get to, you know, you have best of both worlds. You get to kind of figure out how to play what. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can I can see that and I really understand it. And I think um, also the feminist movement has together with having a focus on diversity in all aspects has really done that women and people who feel or who identify with something that's maybe quote unquote different from the norm, um, that they are sort of allowed to, like you say, lean into it or embrace it and really make that their own, you know, and explore their identity. Um, yeah, or at the least not shy away from it, you know? Yeah. No, I think it's very, um, again, prior to this whole movement, I definitely went through uh, a change you know not, your, your show is called change in narrative and the narrative definitely has changed as a minority in Denmark um, there's a language for it now whether it was um, you know Black Lives Matter movement or Me Too movement mm -hmm. things like that that sparked it there's a language for it now um, 10 years ago I did a, a show about um, minorities uh, Muslim girls in Denmark it was like one of the first shows in the world uh, featuring Muslim women like satire and um we didn't have a language for it back then. I look at the clips now and even the way we uh, mention ourselves in the show is, is incorrect. Mm -hmm. um, and now um, the fact that now I have words I can use to, to acknowledge my feelings about feeling different, yeah. that's a positive. Wow. So I think my hair couldn't be darker now <laughs> because I, I do lean into it. I think it's, um, and especially as a woman in the film industry, it's quite male print predominant you know that so especially as an editor so I, I used to be like the only girl the only brown haired girl you know so now I'm like yeah I'm the only girl and yes I get to and I even dress more colorful than I used to yeah yeah you know Louisa we talked about this and I have to thank you for something because earlier uh this year when I was in development of uh of one of my um creative projects uh, I was frustrated and I asked you for advice and I was consulting with you and and you told me Mora find your people and I thought you know that's really good advice but I didn't really have a sense of who my people were because you know again minorities okay I can find a bunch of minorities who all kind of felt like the same form of prejudice uh, as me and I definitely do want to hone in on working with more um brown people in front and behind the camera but now after this movement I found my family I mean I found my my community my personal Iranian community and I've never had that before yeah. I've had you know a few Iranian friends but we've always been scattered everywhere mm -hmm. around the world and now more and more we see that um, Iranians in the diaspora are like really find this like solidarity and togetherness because of this movement. So 
thank you for, for giving that advice. I see now how true it is and how important it is to find your people. You're very welcome. I'm glad. You <laughs> <laughs> no, there, and it's so true because there is something very powerful in finding your people. Let's call it like that. I mean, it can be anything. It can be um, a community where you feel you belong and where you have support and where the people understand you and give you motivation. And it's something that um, I think a lot of women have lacked for <laughs> centuries. Um, and now we have started to form all these movements and groups and mentorships. And, you know, there's so many um, ways for us to find support within um, other groups of women. Uh, and and the same thing people are doing that belong to different types of minority groups or communities, LGBTQ, etc. Um, and all of a sudden people are finding out how powerful that is and how much um, you gain from that self-confidence. Um, yeah, the, the positivity in, in receiving support and motivation from other people is huge and it's so important. Um, yeah, especially if you have some somehow the same cause or, mm. you know, or dealt with some of the same issues in life. I think it's, you know, when you say my people, it also sounds like excluding. It's not excluding. It's more saying like, I'm finding representation. I'm finding somebody who somehow resembles me in thought or, you know, in behavior or in um, fundamentals, you know. So mm. when you when you find that, when you find somebody you have something in common with, it validates you as a person. So for me, it's like, I have all these feelings and thoughts and things I want to do creatively. And I don't know, is it important enough? Is it good enough? Um, do people even care? And then, you know, you meet somebody who's like you and you think, okay, there's an audience, first of all. And also um, it does matter because I might, you know, shrug at my own personal story of how I came here or what happened to me. But, you know, I listened to one of my friend's stories similar to mine and I, you know, I feel for her. So maybe my story is important too. Does yeah. that make sense? That makes so much sense. And yeah. you only have to mirror that to, let's say, um, a case of sexual harassment or a Me Too case or something where a woman has been downplaying it and, and saying to herself, oh, it's nothing. Oh, it's not that bad. It's not but it affects her and years later this come up this gets triggered by whichever situation maybe because she becomes a mom and all of a sudden she has a um a daughter and and she's worried that this is going to happen to her daughter or you know whatever situation can trigger an old trauma mm -hmm. that happened to her 15 20 years ago and it's exactly the same and i think a lot of it's us very well said, Lisa. yes Thank Especially you. For... Women, you're very, very good at um, downplaying things and saying, oh, no, don't worry about me. Uh, you know, it's it's not that bad. And I don't want to cause um, problems or attention on me or anything. Um, very much the contrary of what many men think. They think that women do this for attention. Um, it couldn't be further from the truth. It's the exact opposite. Women usually don't want to attract this type of attention. So it's very similar actually to this type of situation. For sure. Yes. Yes. And so I think it's uh, easy for people to relate to and understand. Definitely. Yeah. More, well, tell me a little bit more about, because I think, um, I think it's so true what you said just before um, when you're talking about that you want to work with more brown people or people from your community um but that it's not it doesn't mean that you um exclude other people and i think that's such an important point because it's the same when we talk feminism or any other community that you want to work with people who understand you and you want to explore that side of yourself and that identity but it doesn't mean that you don't want to work with men or it doesn't mean for you that you don't want to work with white people, <laughs> you know? Wanting to dive into that and feel that network and support and exploring that side because it's something that you haven't done. On yes, but also 
Oh, it's because of the stories, do you know, because yeah. I want to shed light on these stories that haven't been told. You know, there was a time where I was really angry. I would look at things that are, you know, coming out of the Danish media uh, and it, there isn't much diversity. There really isn't. And still to this day, even though a lot of um, the platforms do um, try to get that in, it's still kind of, uh, you know, then you have this like one brown person, this token brown person in the cast, and he's not really the lead. Or if he is the lead, you know, like one of the things that they're starting to do, I see now is that you have somebody in the lead uh, with a very Danish name cast as a brown person. Mm. And I'm actually against that. I think you need to kind of hone in on the whole story of that person. You know, if, if that person has a certain heritage, that should be, um, people need to be three, three dimensional, basically. Yeah, I think. But also um, so it's then portrayed as, you know, from a white Danish perspective, mm -hmm. like, and he just happens to be brown, or mm -hmm. does the story actually and his character represent where he comes from? I'm guessing exactly. that that's a no. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So it's like that back backstory is missing yeah. in a sense, you know, because my backstory definitely has something to do with who I am, even though I speak fluent Danish mm -hmm. and I'm Danish for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, for me, finding your people, finding your community is also about they may have similar stories to me and they want to shed light on that too. So that's important to me. And I get it. I get why, you know, the majority uh, want something else because they identify more with that. So I get it. Uh, I'm not mad at it anymore. I just feel like I have a responsibility um, as a brown director, producer, whatever, to to try to tell those stories as well, because there is an audience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also it's not about, um, oh, the audience then has to be all Iranians or brown people based in, in Denmark. No, I mean, <laughs> I, as a very white and Danish woman, can easily find uh, a story about an Iranian man or woman. Very, very interesting. Actually, that's one of the things that I enjoy the most nowadays when I go on a, a streaming platform or whatever in the cinema and I see a story, wow, a story from India or, a, you know, a story from a place that I don't know anything about or very little about and I know very little about their culture and I watch a film or a, or a TV series or even a, a documentary about a place I don't know. And I'm kind of discovering it for the first time. And I feel that that's, wow, that's amazing. And I think a lot of people, luckily, feel like that. Eventually, you have to develop a good character, you know, <laughs> a likable character and or an interesting character. And, and that's what we're trying to break the norm here, because, you know, we're trying to get executives to understand that a good story is a good story. It doesn't matter whether that person is Indian or um, Black or whatever. It's, yeah, exactly. it's, the story is, is the most important thing. But there's a fight still to be fought. And, um, and yeah. no, no, for sure. I mean, we're... We're just in the early stages, I think, of a transformation of society and, you know, the, luckily the movement of um, feminism is, um, you know, has advanced a lot, but it doesn't mean that we are now all equal yeah. or that we have nothing more left to fight for. Um, quite the contrary. I think we need to yeah. now more than ever push it. Um, yeah. I can, I can reveal, I mean, you you know this, but the project that I've been working on for a very, very long time, um, the lead is an Iranian. Mm -hmm. And I've always been self-conscious about that, like, you know, really trying to develop the character, make her interesting enough. And it's funny, since this movement, I, I, I tend to want to go back and I'm like, because her character is quite fully developed. Yeah. And now I'm like, I'm talking to my producers, I'm, does she need to change? Because, I mean, I've changed, the narrative's changed. I mean, wouldn't she be more proud now? You know, the character that I've, that I've felt developed who has all these insecurities as well. And I'm like, is that still true? I, I need to go back to the storyboard and figure out- her arc. <laughs> exactly, her and arc because- You know, what happens in the end that she becomes- Exactly, because, because it definitely has changed um, our perspective and, and you know, used to say I'm Persian and now everybody's saying I'm Iranian <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. because <laughs> there's just like that little shift of saying you know mm -hmm. we're proud of of what's going on and the women especially in Iran 
so yeah it's overall i think it causes change and um and it has this like ripple effect whatever is wow. happening right now yeah. but tell me about that so you define or you are persian well but... uh, you know persia is the old iran so when a persian says she's persian it's basically her saying oh i'm not the islamic republic of iran i i belong to the old culture and um everything that we used to be proud of right as iranians are persians um we belong to that uh and now i don't hear anybody calling themselves persian anymore because it's okay to say Iranian and people respond well to that. Yeah. You know, that is, that is really interesting actually, because you're now even talking about your identity within different time periods of the country. Um, and, and I'm thinking, uh, thinking of Denmark, that is such a small country. We're like five millions or something like that. Okay, I think we're uh, six now. I think we're, we just, okay. I well, think. I'm <laughs> very small country um and even within that small country you know we have like all of us who live in the capital in Copenhagen and you know Copenhagen is situated on an island so we're from that part and then there is the western part of Denmark which has a lot of countryside you know so we tend to mock each other both Copenhagen towards them and them towards Copenhagen yeah. it's like it's the same and and we kind of quote unquote hate each other we don't hate each other but we make a lot of jokes um and so even within such a small country you can have okay i'm from there and i'm more proud to be from there than there it, it's really interesting how important identity is for us yeah and especially uh you know being uh iranian or persian or, or whichever you prefer calling it um i think you know they're beautiful people I honestly, and I'm not saying that because uh, <laughs> I, I, I said, but but they really are. You know, they're they're known for their hospitality. They're known for their culture. They're known for their art. They're known for their poetry, mm -hmm. um, and that has such a rich history, right? And um, then here comes the Islamic Republic, and what I think is the most sad is the censorship. And what I see now within this movement is that there's so much art coming out of Iranians. We have had 44 years of oppression and now people are vomiting <laughs> all this art, you know, and it's amazing. It's like music and poetry and paintings and and films. And it's just incredible to watch. I, I dare to say there's never been any movement in the world that's created because art always goes along with the revolution. I think it's a very important part of the revolution. Self-expression is an important part of the revolution, but I don't think there's been any revolution ever. Like there's so much art coming out of it. Yeah. So I think that's so beautiful. And that's, you know, a testament to the Iranian people. Yeah. And now we get to actually show that to the world. See, look at it. Look, look what we've been sitting on. Yeah. You know, for 44 years, we've, we've been silenced. Look at our women. Look at our girls. Look how pretty they are. Look how beautiful. Look how strong, how brave, how confident. They're they're so educated. You know, these are like really, really powerful women yeah. um, are on the streets right now. Tell me more because also I... Men, also men. <laughs> also men who are standing behind them. Yeah. That's actually been one of the things that I have... Um, loved to see in all of this um, obviously the situation is terrible and, and the reason why but it's good that it's happening um, but what I have loved to see is how supportive all the men are because no doubts this is initiated by women this is a woman's movement and a woman's revolution as it should be because they are the ones fighting for their liberty but the men are out on the street supporting them and that is a big, important piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I talk about that also um, in regards to just fa fighting the patriarchy in general, that, you know, you can fight all you want and you can do a revolution all you want, but you do need to have some allies mm -hmm. on that side as well, because otherwise uh, it's just almost impossible. So yeah. if we want to fight the patriarchy and we want to smash the patriarchy we need men on our side to fight the fight with us there is no opposition in iran so this is a 
grassroots kind of revolution. Yeah. But um, what we do have, which is, you know, why this revolution, why we all believe in it, is uh, we have strength in numbers, right? So uh, it's it's the first time, because uh, there's been a lot of demonstrations in Iran, a lot of uprisings throughout time where, you know, people have tried uh, to um, go against the regime or whatever, but um, this is the first time it's, you know, ethnic minorities, it's men, it's women, you know, all parts of the society. Um, so that's the beauty of it. Yeah. And that's why we will succeed is because, you know, um, they can't kill the idea as, um, as people are saying right now. Yeah. No, exactly. And, and the power is that everyone comes together. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. it's it's not just a small group of people. It's everyone. And yeah. It's not only women. It's women yeah. and women, everything in between, basically. Um, exactly. Mora, tell me because I remember it's not so many years ago that you visited your family in in Iran, right? Yeah. I mean, how was it? How is it for you now, having grown up in Denmark, and you're obviously a, a free, independent woman, to go and visit your family in Iran? So I've um, I've gone back and forth um, many times. Uh, the first time was scary as hell. Again, one of those uh, childhood traumas because you didn't know whether you would ever make it back again or you would even get through. Um, but since then, um, since we got our passports and visas and everything, we we do manage to travel back and forth. So I decided October last year, in the midst of Corona, when Corona was peaking again in Iran. I just woke up one morning and I called my cousin. I said, I miss you and I miss my country and I need to come back. And I went there with my son, my five-year-old at the time, which was amazing because he's half uh, Iranian. And so now he has this like um, sense of where he's from as well, where he's, you know, half of him is from anyway. Yeah. And so I went there for only about a week and um, it was amazing as it is always amazing. I love visiting Iran. For me, you know, even the headscarf is kind of cool because it's something different. You know, you, you get to put on different headscarves and the part of town where I'm from, I'm from Tehran. It's, uh, you know, the headscarf, even last year, people are wearing it so loosely and, you know, girls are putting on their makeup and it's not, I mean, I went to some of the most bizarre parties uh, while I was there last, you know, so you could imagine how, um, this generation of Iranians are living um, and they're just as modern and just as woke as we are here. This is also why they're not standing for all this oppression, right? Because they know what's going on around the world. Yeah. Um, so it's like everybody lives this life, this hidden life behind closed doors where you have your parties and you have your illegal liquor and you have girls and boys meeting and um, you know, doing all the things that we do out here. But um, when you enter the streets, you have to put on your veil and you have to do certain things. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I, I was scared actually leaving because I had my son and he didn't have, you know, he doesn't have a passport and he, he didn't, he had to get a visa and I actually had to marry my husband again in Islam and he had to convert oh, uh, nice. on paper and to oh. give me permission to take my son with me to Iran Are you so, kidding me? Yeah, little things like that, right? So that's, oh. yeah. And so, you know, it's kind of always been like, oh, well, this is the norm. This is, you know, when you travel to Iran, you have to do certain things. You have to follow so- certain rules. And now it's like, you wake up and you're like, why? I mean, of course, this this is, this needs to change. For me, I was just a tourist. I just followed the rules. Yeah. This is the power of indoctrination eh? of a whole nation and a whole world, actually, and how easy it is for people to just go along with, well, that is how it is in Iran. So we do it. No. And that's why it's so important to know that it started with the headscarf and burning up the hijab and stuff. It's nothing to do with that. You know, this is that's just a symbol. I mean, already people are not wearing their headscarves anymore in Iran, a lot of places anyway, where they could get away with it. where the morality police or so-called morality police aren't uh, patrolling. But um, it's about rights, basic rights. Um, the fact that it's so hard for women to get a divorce. Um, mm-hmm. If the husband allows for such divorce, they still don't have the rights for the children. You know, the husband gets to choose the name of the child. They can leave the country without their husband's consent. Mm-hmm. Um, But these are the things that we're fighting for, you know, equal rights. 
Yeah. yeah. And people think there's a lot of, you know, I think especially Americans, they think that women can't drive in Iran or women can't work. That's not the case. I mean, women drive, women work, but we don't have the law on our side. Mm. And that's what we're trying to change. Yeah. 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 And so I would like to hear um, a little bit more about, because I've seen so much on social media, all the activism that you do now, which is amazing like i'm so proud of you <laughs> it's so wonderful what you're doing um but how is it to be yeah how is it to be an iranian woman in denmark and seeing everything that's going on there far far away from denmark but you have your family there and you have your friends there and so tell us a little bit about what you and the movement in denmark has been doing from denmark maybe you can inspire other people to do the same Hopefully, I mean, the thing is, you know, in the beginning, it was just this, it hit you so hard, you know, you would just death scroll on social media. And I think every Iranian have like neck pains from like being on their phone so much. Um, and it's it's truly, it's it's this thing, like you can't, like my feed, if you look at it, it's just Iran, Iran, Iran. And I know my friends can, can echo that as well. Yeah. Um, so it was really hard because you felt helpless, like there wasn't anything you could do. And why did it hit so hard? It's because you just relate. You look at Masa, you look at Nika, you look at Hadith, and they look like you. You know, they could be you. And I've been harassed by the morality police numerous times. My cousins have been harassed by the morality police numerous times. I have cousins who've been taken in by the morality police. So it could have been them. And that's why it's hitting so hard, you know, that like, again, that mirroring right mm -hmm. so for us it was just like desperation you can't do anything from here um i swear if i could go to iran now and make it through the airport i probably i mean it's a good thing i can because i would be in the streets probably <laughs> um but uh i made a choice very early on to say i was going to do what i can what they're asking of us is to be their voice that's basically all they're asking of us is to be their voice because you know Iran they shut down the internet you know they're silenced they're not allowed to speak and you see again and again people being taken in executed harassed um beaten for protesting yeah. for using their voice um you have a rapper right now Tumaj he's on death row for his lyrics so because they can't we must Right. So it's become this like ball that we throw back and forth between Iran. So they go on the streets and they fight and rally and then they toss it back to us. And we're like, OK, now we get to do it the same. And we're out every week, sometimes twice a week. And so I knew very early on if that's what they're asking of us, if they're asking of us to beat our voice. That's what I'm going to do. And even if that means I'm not going to be able to visit. As long as this regime is in power. So for me, it was like an active choice of either I'm in or I'm out. Mm -hmm. And I understand there's, I have friends who, who, you know, might come to the demonstrations, but they don't want their face shown or they, you know, wear a little mask or sunglasses or they don't want to go on TV. And for me, it's like, you know me, I've always been behind the camera. I do not enjoy being in front, but for the first time in my life, I'm like sparing this, you know, I, I want the exposure because it means exposure for Iran. Yeah. Um, and now I see the effect of it. In the beginning, we're a very small group and now it's growing and growing. And actually um, yesterday, yeah, Wednesday, um, there was this, like it was snowing and it was cold, but there was this huge amount of people and half of them, dare I say, were not Iranians. Yeah. And so I just, you know, me and my friends, we just hugged and high fived and we're like, we did this, you know, we've been out every week and we've been saying people come out with us. And we have to believe that this makes a difference because it puts pressure on the government. And the more we hashtag, the more we talk about it, the more we say their names, um, the more they're in the eye of the rest of the world. Um, at the least, we can postpone some of these executions and killings. You know, we've had cases where we we put so much pressure on that that they released somebody, right? Mm -hmm. So this is why this movement, it does actually help. Even if it's, you know, you do one hashtag a day, it, it makes a difference, not only to the people who are in the streets, 
who need to know that we're still here. We're not tired. We're, we're going to fight this with you because they don't have the luxury to say, especially now that they come so far, they don't have the luxury to say, okay, well, we call it a day. So we need to keep going and being out there for them. Yeah. And so Denmark's a small country. I, I sometimes think, you know, you see the rallies in Berlin, the, the marches in, in Toronto and LA and New York and the big billboards, you know, what does Denmark have to say in all this? Mm -hmm. But I have to believe that even if it's just my cousin who who gets news from Denmark, that still matters to me. And also on top of that, I think it matters for the community here. So that's what I'm also saying, like some days I'm like, maybe it doesn't make a difference for them in Iran, uh, or maybe it makes a very small difference. It's just a drop in the ocean, but man, does it make a difference for us Iranians who are living here in the diaspora, always feeling like we didn't belong, we didn't fit in, we didn't have a community, and now we're out there every week. And sometimes it is just a group of small Iranians standing with flags. <laughs> but um, even that helps because we get to find some release and some some solidarity and some therapy in that, you know, some healing in these events that we do and and um, these projects that we do um, for awareness, at least uh, as well. Do you deal with any type of shame? I mean, I'm not saying that you should have shame at all, but I wonder if that's a feeling that you that you have inside you as well for being Iranian, but being here in Denmark and not. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say shame. I feel uh, there was a lot of guilt. Guilt. Um, yeah, that's guilt is, what yeah. I wanted to say. Shame. Shame yeah. was a bit, yeah. yeah. You know, I've had moments of just crying in my mother's lap and feeling desperate and um first of all it, it, me and my mother we, we've had some really hard talks that we hadn't had before mm -hmm. and knowing that she was my age and she made that move with two children to i mean and it was a different world back then remember again there was no social media there was no you know when you left the place you left the place right so the fact that she did that i'm like there's this new respect and found respect for her. But at the same time, yes, the guilt of, of me growing up privileged, so to say, or me having my freedom, taking it for granted probably as well. There was that in the beginning, but at the same time, no, because we're the other side of the medallion. We've also felt oppressed. Because of this regime, I grew up away from my family. My family that I love and dear, and they're my roots, and they're my, you know, we're closer than close, and we are spread all over the world. I have my cousin's daughter. I've never seen her. For me, that's like, he's like my my brother, and I haven't seen his daughter. That, to me, is because of this regime. So yes. the fact that we're spread out of the world, the fact that I grew up always feeling different, the fact that I grew up not in my element in a sense, yes, I was free, but... Um, we're also, I think everybody who are living and had to flee Iran for any purpose, we get to say that this is our fight too, that this is also something that's been hard for us. And this is something that I think we we feel with and we, um, we understand. And we understand it differently than them, but it's something that we had to live with as well, mm -hmm. right? So I don't think we need to say we're guilty uh, or we should feel guilty anymore. But we should do what we can. Um, we should support while we can out here as well. Yeah. I'm so happy that you, I think you um, described that perfectly. And <laughs> happy that you answered that way because my question was obviously not to tell you that you should feel guilt or shame or anything like that. Um, but actually to hopefully some other Iranians will listen to this or watch it. Mm -hmm. and can relate to it and if they feel just a hint of guilt or shame they will listen yeah. to what you have just said now because that is so true and yeah. like we should all remember that your mother didn't choose to to well she did choose to leave of course but um she didn't do it out of oh i want an adventure i feel like living in denmark i want to pursue a career in denmark no she did it out of need and out of love for her children desperation out of desperation yeah. Yeah. and to find a safe place it's not the mm -hmm. same as me for example who moved from copenhagen to barcelona because 
you know, I was young and, and wanted to pursue a bit of adventure and a film career and, you know, for many different reasons, but it wasn't for fleeing or out of uh, desperation. Most of my family, they've left and uh, I don't, I get it. I mean, it's, if you have the opportunity to leave, you leave Yeah, because it is bonkers to live in a country where you don't have your basic rights. You know, you can't walk hand in hand in the streets with your lover. You can't um, bike as a girl. You can't, you know, so the scarf is just, you know, that's the bare minimum. Like you can't wear what you want to wear. Um, things like that. And also, besides that, Iran, you know, the way it's been governed is, you know, it's just been downhill, right? Yeah. <laughs> because the pollution and the um, the economic and everything. So it's a lot of pressures that I, I get it why people leave. Yeah. Mona, I want to, so we're, I think we're um, getting close to an hour. I don't have the exact time here, but uh, I have a feeling that we've been talking for a long time now. Yeah. <laughs> it's been yeah. super, super interesting and um i love hearing about you know i love hearing about um how you felt growing up and and also the way that you really started to explore your own identity and that even happened in the past years you know i know you as a friend and i know you were exploring that like identity and um and to see how you've found it or at least found part of it now is is really amazing i don't know it's it's because you know I mean it's been this journey and now it's kind of resulting in this it's incredible personally on a personal level I feel like I've changed yeah I mean I've shed so much skin the past two months also been super stressed and not slept and and cried every day but but also there's something positive in this as well there's some liberty at the end of it I think yeah and I think that's important to note and um and appreciate because it, it obviously it has happened because of the initial situation where a young woman was killed and that is terrible and as you also pointed out several many other people have been killed since then in the protests um mm -hmm. so it's all happening on the basis of something terrible but even mm -hmm. in that terrible situation there is actually at least something positive coming out of it you know yeah. there are people yeah. who are now fighting for their freedom and there are people like you who are here in Denmark or in any other part of the world um sort of finding their community and their identity and have a feeling of support between them so at least there is this coming out of that situation yeah. it's very conflicted I think all Iranians right now are very conflicted between these two feelings of like utter um pain and suffering and, and sadness and this like hope and and exhilaration and, and there's it's just it's very conflicting feelings and and um yeah it's extremely it's, complex you know complex yeah, yeah 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 that's also why I think um we need to stick together and 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 use each other and support each other yeah, yeah. for sure yeah. and this is why I want to ask you here um towards the end what can we all do to help the situation mm -hmm. like you said before we can share and like and like the internet and social media is so powerful in this really yeah. it's like the yeah. power of the people so yeah. we can continue to share and like and comment on stories from iran um are there any other ways or are there any um special hashtags you want to mention that we can use for example well, you know, these hashtags always change. And like I said, like, it's always helps to be very specific in the names of these people who are um, detained and stuff. But, um, you know, we, we still use Masa Amini or China Amini. We still use the Woman Life Freedom, which is my favorite slogan in the entire world. Um, it's very important to, to use that. And Iran revolution, you know, this is a revolution. Stop the execution. There's a lot of hashtags like that. Uh, I will actually suggest something to your listeners because this is a good way of not only um, getting information, but also um, there's a beauty in it. So there's a page. Um, I'm not promoting it because I know this person. I just follow it and I like it. There's an Instagram page called womenlifefreedom.art. Okay. And so this person or organization, I don't know who's who's behind it. They put out all this art coming out of Iran or all these like drawings and illustrations. And you see like it's just 
flooding with it. And um, a lot of times it's like somebody passes or somebody gets uh, caught or something happens and they, they uh, highlight these little moments. So they go in and they illustrate that or make little films of that. Or when there's like new demonstration, like we just had three days of strikes in Iran. So like they'll make art on that. So there's constantly coming things up. It's a really beautiful site to follow um, and you get to get informed as well and, um, and you know, share those things, share the art. I think that's important because that's something easy you can do. And also, do you have Iranians in your, your life? If you have people in your life who are, um, I know there's so many things in the world that we all need to care about that we can't all have time to care about. And so I get it. I get that it's not as important for you as it is for me. I get that this is, you know, a fight that, you know, my country is going through. It is important on a world scale because of the women's movement, but at the same time, I get it. It's It doesn't, it's not your everyday, right? But um, I think ask that person, you know, how they are. If it's your colleague, know they are really in it right now. And it, it, your concern, your acknowledgement does actually matter. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. yeah. That's good advice. And yeah. what about, uh, Mora? I know you have another um, Instagram account. Is it the one um, that shows what you're doing in Denmark? Yeah, so we uh, recently formed because we have this group of amazing, shout out to them, amazing young um, uh, Iranians. Uh, and we uh, we kind of stand for this next generation of Iranians coming out of Iran because we firmly believe that, you know, this revolution belongs to them. So we want to be their voice. Um, and so we created this little Instagram account called Generation Azadi. Um, or generation underscore Azadi underscore CPH, which stands for Copenhagen. Azadi means freedom. It's the, you know, it's from the slogan, Zan Zendigi Azadi, women, life, freedom. Mm -hmm. um, so it's generation freedom, basically. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to take initiative, creative initiatives. And we, um, one of the projects, the first projects we did was like create this wall, this awareness wall that inspired by a similar installation in um in Isfahan we made this wall where we put out the pictures of all these people that died but also you know try to convey as much information as we could mm -hmm. so little things like that um and basically we we're just there every week <laughs> at the demonstrations um we're selling these tote bags that uh again we're trying to use the surplus to make more creative projects like these and so that's what we're trying to do. So yeah, go ahead and, and follow follow that and as well. <laughs> Amazing. I'll make sure to get um everything from you in written so I can include it in the in the episode details so that people have easy access for it. I would love that you know people can go and follow your accounts. You say a little Instagram account. Let's hope that it's it grows and becomes a big. It's growing. It's growing. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, right now it's, it's, it's small, but, but um, our community and people we know are following it. So that means a lot, you know, that our friends are supporting it. And, and actually the installation we did, uh, it made it all the way to Esfahan to the, the people who inspired us to do it. And it's a, there's a university in Esfahan who are just doing amazing, amazing uh, work in this. And uh, cause it is, again, it's the students who are fighting on the streets and, um, so I followed them and I saw this thing and it made it to them and they reposted it. And that just, I mean, that meant a lot. Yeah. I don't mean, I don't know. I just, if I, uh, yeah. Yeah. It was a very special moment for me. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Maura, for coming on. I think you're very <laughs> brave and I think you're doing just amazing work. I'm really so proud of you. And I'm so happy that you, you know, have found your community in Denmark and your support Thank system. You. Thank you. Uh, and can yeah. I close, can I close with a manifestation? Yes. I was going to tell you like whatever last thing you have to say, yeah. please let me hear. Okay. So um, it's this vision I have, and it's so clear to me that I feel like it will definitely happen. Okay. I, um, I won't be able to go back to Iran before this thing, like I was saying to you, because I've been so active that um, that's not an option. Um, but when I was uh, little and I used to see the pictures of the monster on the walls, uh, Khomeini and, and all the religious leaders, because I had that feeling when I was little, every time I'd go back to Iran, even as an adult, 
when I see all the pictures on the walls, they have a lot of religious propaganda. So a lot of buildings and stuff have these paintings of all these religious leaders, especially Khomeini. And it would still, to this day, it gives me shivers. Like when I would pass that on the freeway, it would always make me feel like, ugh, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I imagine going back to an Iran and I see it so clearly when all these things have been burned and taken down and painted over and it's pictures of Massa and it's pictures of Nikah and it's pictures of Kian and it's pictures of Hossein Rouhani and all these people they are painting and all the art, all the art that we have all over Iran, but especially Tehran is going to be flooded with art. So that's what I'm looking forward to. And that's what I see. And that's what I'm going to go back to Iran. That's and I hope everybody else will manifest that with me. That's beautiful, Mara. And I hope that will come true as well. Thank you thank so you. much, Sarah. Um, thank you so much for being here today and, and explaining us a little bit. I know it's very intimate and very personal. And um, yeah, this was, as you know, just a relaxed conversation between two friends. Uh, you know, we weren't trying to explain too much about the situation or be too political. It was really all about you and, and your identity as an Iranian woman. And here you sit today with uh, the colors of your flag. I know. I'm green and red. <laughs> I said I'm Christmas colors, yeah, but you have obviously the colors of your flag, and I know you also have a new tattoo. Yes, I'm very committed. This is my first and only tattoo. It says Zan Zendiki Ozadi. Yes. <laughs> very fitting. Thank you so much, Mark. Take care. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.